0: You're listening to an adult Sunday School class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at
1: RedeemerOhio.org. Okay, so we're looking at the second table, which contains our duty to man. And the Catechism does go into the fifth commandment in question 63. If you need one, they're up here, by the way. Which is the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment is honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God gives thee. This is the first commandment dealing with, of the six commandments, dealing with our duty to others, as we said. You know, these, are, these ten commandments are summed up by the two great commandments, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So that's why divines <clears throat> or theologians have divided it out into two tables, those containing our duty to God and those containing our duty to man. He can't fulfill the first table, first four commandments, who fails or refuses to fulfill the second table. In other words, you can claim to be holy or devout or pious, but it is a sham if you're not loving your neighbor. For example, in Isaiah chapter 1, God says to his people, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams, and it goes on to describe their external worship, Then he says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. So in other words, these sacrifices and burnt offerings were things that God had commanded. They were the duty of Israel. There was nothing wrong with the sacrifices themselves. Their worship was unacceptable and vain because they refused to love their neighbor as themselves. They refuse to fulfill the duties of the second table. So he who can't fulfill or he can't fulfill the first table, it's worthless. Who fails or refuses to fulfill the second table. So this is very important as we go through the last six commandments. This commandment, the fifth commandment, really is the connecting link between our duty to God and our duty to man. As a matter of fact, some have actually situated this one with the first table, because if you think about it, God is delegating His authority to authority figures. But we do understand this to be part of the second table, and you'll see as we go through this the various relationships that we have, we're dealing with other human beings. It's expressed in the language of the family circle, where children must obey their parents. And this is where it begins. This is where we learn to respect and obey authority. Or we should learn. Put it that way. And we call, or the the confession describes them in a position of inferiority. Not because as persons they're inferior. But simply because they occupy a position of authority that is beneath. So the language of inferiors simply has to do with their position. The place that they occupy at that time in life. By implication, then, the duties of parents to their children are also included in this commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. Well, father and mother must have responsibilities by implication. So, they are considered as superiors, again, not in terms of their essence or their nature, but their office, their position. At the same time, the mutual duties among equals are implied by the fact that each of these Children, fathers, mothers, for example, contain many. There are other fathers and mothers. There are other children. So what's that relationship? And this commandment has an implied connection with equals. So we find that we have in this commandment, as we'll see, duties and sins forbidden that apply to superiors, inferiors, and equals very important. This kind of applies to all the relationships that you can experience in human life. It's only one of two commandments that are expressed positively. If you think about it, out of the ten commandments, only two of them are expressed positively. Most of them are, thou shalt not. This one, honor, and the fourth, remember. So those are the only two that are expressed positively. But still still there are things that are forbidden, as we'll see when we go through it. Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Then he quotes the commandment, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And our last slide will deal with that promise and what it actually means. Any questions on this first slide. Okay? Good. The next question, the larger catechism, goes into more depth in this commandment. Who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? By father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts, and especially such as by God's ordinance, it should be ordinance, are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth, or state, civil realm. So it's understanding that while it's in the language of family, because that is the incubator of society, that's where children begin to learn the importance of authority, it has implications for all segments of society and all expressions of delegated authority. While no one else but parents are mentioned, yet all these superiors in general are intended. We're going to talk about who that means, who they are, all the superiors in our lives. All of us here, every one of us, submits to some superior, maybe several superiors, but we're all in submission. In Scripture, many who are not natural parents are called by the terms father and mother, and I'm going to give you several examples Paul says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, young women as sisters in all purity. The language of the family circle is applied in the church. So we treat and respect our elders, for example, as fathers and mothers. They don't have the same authority as immediate fathers and mothers, but they deserve the same kind of respect. So we teach our children, for example, I remember, maybe I shouldn't say this, but this is a number of years ago, a long time ago. Um, there was one young man who would come in, and as young men will do, I'd say, good morning, so-and-so. Huh? And so, so I stopped and said, hey, wait a minute. When I say good morning to you, so-and-so, you should say, good morning, pastor, right? Good morning, you know. <laughs> but wasn't because I think I am so important, but it's teaching this idea that there is a respect to be shown to an office or to age, that kind of thing. So this commandment has something to say to us in the church and society. Ada bore Jabel, who was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. Was he really the father of all shepherds? No, but he's the one who began and he sort of had this influence over all of shepherding. So he's called a father. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who played the lyre and the pipe. So you can see how scripture can use the language of the family circle to apply elsewhere. These are fathers. God has made me a father to Pharaoh, said Joseph, and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. He was not Pharaoh's father. But he was in a position of authority and support and so forth. Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, and Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father. One more. My little children, says Paul, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. There's the language of the mother. So, again, the only reason I bring all these up is to show that in Scripture, the terms father and mother can be used outside the family circle. Any questions on that? Okay. This encourages, why would they be called father and mother? Well, it encourages superiors in whatever position to treat inferiors with love and tenderness. Especially as a Christian, if you're in a position of a superior, there is no place for tyranny. There is no place for harshness. We're all tempted. I get irritable, and I sin, and I have to repent. But the idea is that we are to express love and tenderness. God delegates this kind of authority, and he expects it to be exercised in this kind of manner. Lovingly, tenderly. We'll get into some of the duties in particular of superiors, but we see overarching this, the reason they're called fathers and mothers, the reason you'd call the mayor of Hudson, a father of Hudson, is because he is, on one hand, to express love and tenderness with all the authority he has. In his prosperity, Job acted as a common father to all of his inferiors. I was a father, he says, to the needy. What does he mean by that? He means he protected them, he provided for them, he nurtured them, he counseled them, he rebuked them when necessary. He was a father to the needy. For from my youth the fatherless grew up with me as with a father. Same idea. So, this commandment, phrased in the language of the family circle, is meant in part to teach superiors in whatever position they hold to exercise their authority with love and tenderness. Calling them father and mother also encourages the inferior to obey his or her superior as his own parents. His servants came near and said to him, "'My father,' It is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Remember, um, oh, who's the, the, the Syrian general who had uh, leprosy? Naaman? Was it Naaman? Naaman. Thank you. Yeah. Naaman. And so, you know, he's all upset because the prophet wouldn't come out. He sent a servant. And so his, his underlings, his inferiors, call him their father. And obviously there was a wonderful relationship there. Now, it's not the same as a father, a biological father, but he's exercising his authority, not tyrannically, but with some type of love and tenderness. "'I do not write these things to make you ashamed,' says the Apostle Paul, "'but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers.'" I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you, then, be imitators of me. Now there we have this idea of the spiritual father, the mentor, the one whose example is to be followed and imitated. And the idea is that Paul is using his apostolic authority, which is absolute. He's inspired. He is representing Christ Jesus He wrote the New Testament, which is binding upon the church. That's the kind of authority he has, and yet he's dealing with them as with beloved children. So phrasing it in the language of the family circle teaches superiors to exercise authority with love and tenderness, teaches inferiors to render obedience as to their own parents. They do so with greater willingness and cheerfulness. I remember I had when I was a claims adjuster, I had a supervisor, and she was very insecure. And because of that, almost tyrannical. And it was a powerful lesson for me, because I have a hard time with authority anyway. And yet God taught me many things through that experience. Sixteen months of dealing with that, and at the end, when I left, she had tears and it was it was a wonderful thing the transformation but i think more transformation had to happen in me than in her so we are to obey our superiors in this manner because of our love and devotion to jesus christ ultimately that's the reason that we keep this commandment you work as unto the lord you obey as unto the lord god put this person in your life as an authority figure god put this person in your life as an inferior And so you treat him or her as unto the Lord. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, only doing it when you can see them or they can see you, as people pleasers, flattering, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. That's the reason that we treat our inferiors with love and tenderness, and that's the reason that we respect our superiors as our own parents. Rob? Um,
2: so you said you had a problem
1: with authority. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sinner, boy. Our, our oldest son is starting to show that. Um, do, we, do we demand obedience? Or how, how do we Absolutely. So how? Absolutely. You correct that behavior. You can't change his heart. I mean, if he has a problem with authority, he'll have to learn and be sanctified, but you correct his behavior. You teach him to respect authority. And God has given you some tools to remind him of that. So is that
2: the elder model? Because Jesus was preaching Titus against me. is the goal to like have responsibility of having their children believe. Is it partly is that the,
1: the aim we should have even though I'm not an elder is to have them submit to, to me and... yes as a father as fathers you and I have the responsibility to teach them what it is to submit to lawful authority. If they don't submit to you they're not going to submit to anybody else. Um, and I think that I think I think Pastor Pylon said this. I'd have to go back and listen, but I think he was talking about teaching them to be faithful. We have no control over their belief or unbelief, but they're faithful. So keep going, yeah. Can you
0: maybe some ammo in my pocket to how to to get them
1: to obey? I can make a paddle for you.
2: <laughs> I,
1: I did that before, you know. We had a parent seminar, and I made, I think, 16 paddles. We can talk more offline on that one. But, yeah, no, I I don't mean to be flippant. But, I mean, Scripture is, I think, clear that you're not going to destroy them or kill them. You're going to train them. And God says that that is an effective way to train them. There's short-term pain. There needs to be pain. There's a consequence for disobedience. And then there's restoration immediately. You know, so I think it's very important. And typically, many of us, because we love our children so much, it's so hard to discipline. But it is absolutely necessary because in so doing, you imitate God. He is a faithful father. Mark,
2: I appreciate Rob's question because there there seems to be this disconnect because we want to be people of faith and we want our children to be impacted and have their heart changed. But I know that you call me the king of analogies. My analogy for this is like we have a young sapling, your child, and you are that that rod that they are taped to so they don't fall over because you want them to grow towards the sun. And for a time, while they're young, you need to be that rod to show them the way. And um, as you point out, when the time's right, they will continue to grow that way where they will fall over and grow in their own way.
1: Yeah, I like that analogy. That's very good. I'd never heard that before. That's great. That's a very good analogy. Rob? Um, other, on the other side, I'm the root of my parents.
2: When do I break away? I mean, obviously getting married, that's a big part of it. But is it more so about telling my parents
1: and obeying them at this point? No. I have my own family? You respect your parents. You provide for your parents in their old age. You listen to their advice, but it is only pious advice. You are your own family, and you're the head of your home. You don't owe them absolute obedience at this stage in life. Yeah.
2: I think one of the things that we have to acknowledge is that, uh, first of all, this is counterculture. Oh, yeah. Our culture is all about equality and egalitarianism, with everybody being a chief and nobody being an engine. Right. And so we're swimming upstream already. Oh, yeah. But... Secondarily, and perhaps even more importantly to the point about parenting, is as parents we have to acknowledge our sin in the subtleties of life. Where we're, let's say we're running down our boss in front of our kids. Not good. Okay. Or a wife is not respecting her husband in the way that she should and showing the kids an example that's counter to, to this. It may be right what she said, but there's a place for that and a time for it that is more appropriate. Right. And doesn't demonstrate to the children the wrong approach in uh, making an appeal to authority.
1: Behind closed doors. Yeah,
2: you know, acknowledging that authority. Right. And in, even in churches. You know, if you get out of the, the church and no sooner we're in the car we're talking about somebody, you know, one of the leaders in the church didn't say something right Right. in our eyes. That's right. And so that's
1: that's a problem. It is. It's interesting you say that because at the very beginning you'll notice I had to qualify superiors, inferiors, because we don't want to hear that in our culture, right? But we understand that we occupy different positions of authority and there is, so it's important. You're right. The duties required, what is required in the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment requires the preserving the honor and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. So this has a wider scope, as you've begun to understand, than one would have thought at first. It's not just the family circle. It applies to all of life because we have all these different relationships, as you were saying, in society, in the church. Mentioned are various classes of people to whom this applies. There are different kinds of parents who can be natural parents, domestic parents, civil, spiritual, aged, or gifted. LeBron James, example, is my father in basketball. I am a pygmy compared to His gifts. But that's the Jubal, right? The ones that started the shepherding and the music. That's why they're called fathers, because they have the gifts. Um, Bezalel, who was gifted by God to work on the original tabernacle. He was the father of all those who worked on the tabernacle because he was the most gifted. So there's this idea that age, yes, there is a respect that comes with age. The hoary head deserves respect. And we need to teach our children that. All obligations in each sphere must be performed properly and with appropriate attitudes. All mankind stands related to each other. In one of these three relations, superiors, inferiors, or equals. And it requires wisdom and discernment to know how to function within a given relationship. Am I I a superior here? Am I an inferior? Are we equal? But even among equals, there's a respect that needs to be extended. A civil father's obligation, for example, he is a father, he's to express love and tenderness, but it doesn't negate his obligation to punish crime. And our society is so confused on this. He is not only able, he's obligated to punish crime. God gives him the power of the sword for this reason, and in our society, oftentimes, they refuse to use it for some uh, misguided understanding of the position they hold. So, he may express love and tenderness to care for those who come before his bench, but if there is a confirmed convicted murderer before him, he is to execute him, according to Scripture. We must preserve the honor and perform the duties that are incumbent upon each relationship. Equal honor and respect are to be shown to mothers and fathers, as God's Word makes clear. There's no more respect given to fathers. For example, Deuteronomy or Leviticus 19, Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. He says mother first. Pride of place. Rhiannon?
0: When they have an understanding of this, of what your position is and what you're doing, then they become teenagers and they have like a hard coach relationship, a hard teacher relationship. And when they, a lot of parents will like, you know, jump in there and try to save their kid from this thing instead of teaching them. Like you actually can also have like unfit, feel like you're not heard parent. You know, parents that maybe aren't parenting perfectly or. Um, coaches or teachers over them and teaching them that this represents their relationship to the Lord right. and how they submit to these authorities. So if they have understanding of a system, not just in practice, but in theology, it really helps when we get to these teen years to transfer um, guidance for them to learn how to submit right. and, and it's almost practice before they become adults, right? Because they're going to have bosses, they're going to have oh, yeah. wives, they're going to have husbands. And
1: be ready for teenage complaints. Yeah. And we need to coach them through it. Yeah, it's yeah. very
0: hard for them. But I think it, I have found that at first when you experience it as a parent, you want to like resist, you know, you want right. to just end. But then as we leaned into this concept and embraced it as God's... Um, working in their life, it actually has been a blessing to have unfair coaching or unfair teachers or, you know, when the child understands.
1: But the thing is, and I know you agree with me, they're going to catch more than you'll teach. So I think, as you said, as the father treats his wife, that's how the children will treat the wife, as the wife treats the father. And then if you get in the car and you complain about the pastor, oh, man, he's such an idiot, you know, they'll treat the pastor or the elder or the deacon or whatever it is. So, yes, we need to do both. We need to teach, and then we need to be consistent, you know. And I've I've been convicted because if I've, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example, but if they had been with me back when I was a claims adjuster, it would have been an awful experience because I would have complained. I'd get in the car and just rip her to shreds, which would have been awful. It would have been a terrible example. You know, So we need to be able to make sure we're following the commandment as we teach them the system. Rob?
2: Um, I don't mean to switch gears, but uh, Proverbs uh, 23, 22 says, Listen to your father give you life, and do not despise your mother when she's old. Yeah. Um, my wife is a really sweet woman, but like, when I see her mother and my mother treat her wrongly, I, I kind of despise her. Do you have any thoughts or...
1: Yeah, well, I mean, disrespect. If they're disrespecting your wife, I understand the feelings that you experience. And perhaps at that point, winsomely, say something to them. You're... It's not easy, believe me. And with with her mom especially, that's very <laughs> difficult. But with your mom, hey, mom, this is my wife. And she's trying to do her best. So it's
2: kind of passive.
1: It's like... Passive-aggressive? Yeah. yeah. You'll have to kind of work that out, uh, you two. I mean, I, I, I haven't been very good at that. I, I had to learn over time. She's been very patient with me. But it, it's important for us, I think, to try our best to respect them, not just below with the inferiors, but even with our own superiors, you know. So, okay. Uh, inferiors must give due reverence and proper respect to their superiors. It's very important. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. We honor one another. Obey your leaders and submit to them. This is one of the texts that I always bring up when somebody says, Well, I don't need the church. I just love Jesus. Okay, well, how are you obeying Hebrews 13 17? Are you submitting to your who's your leader? Who's your appointed authority in your life? Your spiritual authorities. Earlier in chapter 13, it says, Watch the outcome of your leader's faith and imitate it. Right. So this idea that we have as inferiors these superiors and we are to be duly reverent. And it's not only felt in the heart... It's not just an attitude of reverence. It's also shown in words and actions. Hey, so-and-so, when I say good morning to you, you respond. As an adult, you tell me, good morning, so or, Pastor Wright. Good morning, Deacon Dar. That's respect. You're, you're expressing your respect in your words. Yeah, you might have that kind of respect in your heart, but I need to hear it. Inferior is not... Oh, by the way, in children, getting back to children... One of the things I think it's important for us to train children in is when an adult addresses a child, the parents need to make sure the child responds to the adult. They learn to interact. It's hard to interact with adults, right? If you're a child, you're intimidated. This guy's 6'5", what am I doing? But you teach them to just respond. That's important. That's verbalizing the respect that's important to know. Remember your leaders, here it is, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Inferiors should be willing to obey every lawful command and to heed wise biblical counsel. Lawful command, that's important. And us parents or others have to teach them what is a lawful command. I always ask members when they come through the interview, do you have to obey everything I tell you? Will you shovel my drive if I tell you? The answer is no. That's not a lawful command, right? You can do it if you want to, but you can't do it at my command. At the same time, inferiors should be willing to receive admonishment and submit to correction. As inferiors, we should be loyal and supportive of leadership, especially when it involves our parents. They are not perfect. They are sinful. Um we do over, or we, as we'll see, we do bear with, here I'll bring it up, we bear with their flaws, their weaknesses. We cover them in love. That doesn't mean that all faults and sins need to be concealed and patiently endured. Quite the opposite. We can confront our superiors respectfully about their sin. That's not what this is talking about. What this is talking about is when it comes to weaknesses. Flaws, idiosyncrasies. We're called to be patient and long suffering.
2: Does uh, uh, there come a point where it would be appropriate to uh, cut
1: off a parent or in law because of how it's affecting the family, or would that be a violation of the community? <laughs> it's a razor's edge very difficult. I know what you're saying. I mean, if they're unrepentant in sin and you think that's going to be detrimental to your children, you have to protect your children. That's your first responsibility as a superior, right? You can't expose them to danger or sinfulness that would adversely affect them. At the same time, there is a commandment that we are to honor our father and mother. it's a razor's edge. It's very difficult to figure out what to do in any given situation. But let's, let's say your father, now this is a, a wild example. Let's say your father decides to become transgender and he's getting married to another man and you just feel like that kind of thing is going to have an adverse effect on your children. So you, you limit, if not negate, the exposure. You know, that's an extreme example, but you get the point. Yeah. Superiors have to be responsible by exercising their authority. Um, Well, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Again, we have the idea that this delegated authority must be used responsibly. It's not just absolute authority. It's used for the well-being of the child or children and for the honor of God. The nature and degree of authority depends on a specific relationship. Hudson's mayor has a different degree of authority than parents. He has some authority over your children, very little, but some. You have almost absolute authority over your children. So you can see the difference there, but he's still a father. The parent's authority is different from the authority of an elder. The elder has spiritual authority. Parents have spiritual authority and all other kinds of authority. So there's a difference you can see in these different relationships. So if superiors love, pray for, bless their inferiors, there's an attitude of goodwill toward them. We instruct, counsel, and when necessary, admonish them. You cannot refrain from admonishing when it's necessary. We commend them when they do well. We reprove and chastise them when they do ill. We protect them, provide for them everything they need for soul and body. This is one of the reasons why it's incumbent upon you as a parent to make sure your children are in a church where they can hear the Word of God. And their daily walks, the prayers are to be sober, wise, godly, worthy of imitation by others. That's a huge responsibility. And we all have flaws. <laughs> We're all inconsistent in some ways. But the goal is that our example should be worthy of, of imitation. This is how we give glory to God, bring honor to ourselves, and preserve that authority which God has given to us. Command and teach these things, Timothy. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. It's a tall order. Equals has to do with not equality of nature, but equality of position. Two people may be equal in nature, but unequal in position, of course, parents and children. And that nature is made in the image of God. In the sight of God, they're the same. But, excuse me, in the positions they occupy, they're very different. So, equal in nature, unequal in position, They're not equals, in that that sense. Two others may be unequal in nature and equal in position. And by that nature, we mean that all men are not created equal. Some are more gifted, some are kinder, some are more leadership, that kind of thing. The disciples, they were equal in position, but they were not necessarily equal in nature. They had different gifts. So you can see that equals has to do with this idea of equality of position. Church members share equal authority, you're equals. Privates in the American army, same authority, they're equals. Equals have to regard the dignity and the worth of each other because we're all made in the image of God. We don't boast in our own achievements. We don't belittle or put down those of others. We give honor to those with whom we share equal authority. Love one another, outdo one another in showing honor. We've seen that. We honor one another not only in our hearts, but with our lips, through our deeds, as we discussed. And instead of contending for superiority, we all do this, don't we? We all have that sinful pride. We contend for superiority. We should be willing to put others before ourselves. That's one of the most difficult things in Christianity. But it is a command. I am supposed to put you before me, and I am so by nature selfish that this is a lifelong learning process. Having children has been a wonderful uh, way to learn, right? You all know. You put them before you. Equals are to rejoice in each other's gifts, advancements, prosperity as they do their own, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Very important. The sins forbids the neglecting of doing anything against the honor and duty which belongs to everyone in their several places and relationships. And fears are not to harbor resentment against or despise anyone in position of authority over them or disobey their lawful commands. You're an inferior. You're a Christian. You express your faith in Christ in part by how you respond to His delegated authority. And children express their faith, especially early on in their years. They express their faith in the way they obey their parents. And if they don't obey their parents, we need to come alongside them, as Mark said, you know, the the sapling. And we need to teach them, this is how you express your faith in Jesus. It's not just obeying me. God put me in your life for a reason, to teach you, in part, how to obey authority. We can't rebel against our authorities like Absalom against his father. We can't curse our authorities like Shimei cursed David. We can't mock our superiors like those youths calling Elisha, Oh, bald head, bald head. You saw what happened to them. The bears came out and destroyed them all. Forbidden is all stubborn, disobedient, and scandalous behavior that disregards lawful authority. Superiors are not to seek unduly their own welfare, honor, ease, profit, or pleasure above others. You sacrifice. Talking about a husband with a wife. Yes, the husband is superior. He occupies a superior position. Not by nature. But that position as a husband requires you to sacrifice for your wife. And if your children see that, then they begin to understand what lawful, loving, tender authority really is. If you don't sacrifice for your wife, you're disobeying the fifth commandment. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, how did he love the church? He died, right? You sacrifice your dreams, you sacrifice your time. They must not command things that are unlawful or impossible to perform. They don't encourage an evil or discourage in good. Expose them to danger. You don't dishonor yourselves. You don't lessen your own authority by an unjust or remiss behavior. Equals don't undervalue each other's worth. And so forth. And we have an example. John says, I've written to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. Sins forbidden. Finally, the reason annexed is a promise of long life and prosperity as far as it shall serve for God's glory and their own good to all such as keep this commandment, ordinarily, and that's an important word to remember, ordinarily, those who observe this command will better maintain peace and harmony between those with whom they are in relation. And where lawful authority is honored... Conditions are such as will make life and prosperity more likely. That's the promise. History and experience provide evidence of the validity of this wonderful promise. It is true in the families that are properly regulated, in the nations that are rightly governed, in the churches that are well-ordered. Yes, conditions are such that you will thrive. When families, nations, or churches disrespect lawful authority, lawlessness and anarchy prevail. Very difficult to thrive in that condition. Both long life and personal prosperity are greatly hindered and depressed. Of course, under any condition... Now, this is important. Some people say, well, the promise. So if I obey, I'm going to prosper. Under any conditions, God's glory and our good may necessitate an early death or prosperity. That's the caveat. God's glory may be magnified if this one is taken early by our account. But all things being equal, those who faithfully keep this command will enjoy rich blessings in this life. And the Bible, notice, is very comfortable promising rewards for faith and obedience. Isn't that interesting? We get so worried about that. Oh, it's salvation by faith alone and grace alone. Yes, that's true. But there is a promise of blessing for this kind of obedience. Your house will be well ordered, and it'll be a condition or a situation in which children can thrive. Any questions? Finally. That's why one of the reasons Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, let the church do things decently and in order. Because in those conditions, God's people can thrive, right? There's accountability. And they can expect, be fed, nurtured, loved. Well, I've kept you long enough. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the authority that you have delegated. Ultimately, it comes from you. We pray that you'll help us to consider this command throughout the week. And in our several places and relationships, you'll enable us to exercise authority with love and tenderness, to respect authority with reverence, and as equals to regard the dignity and worth of one another. Please prepare us for worship now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.